Thank you for watching this online message from Riverstone Church. We hope that this content encourages you and helps you further develop your relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit riverstonechurch.net. There you can learn more about us, view additional messages, submit your prayer needs, and even give online. Thank you for watching, and may the Lord richly bless you. The word of the Lord in Isaiah chapter 12, once again. Isaiah chapter 12 and verse 4. It says, And in that day you will say, Give thanks to the Lord, call on his name, and make known his deeds among the peoples or among the nations. Make them remember that his name is exalted. I haven't normally included verses 5 and 6 in our reading together, but I will today praise the Lord in song, for he has done excellent things. Let's let this be known throughout the earth. Cry aloud and shout for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. This was a hymn of praise written to people who were at the time in exile. And the Lord speaking to them and saying, in the day in which the exile is over, this is what you will say and what you will do. In verse 4, we've talked about the first part, the Give thanks to the Lord, a time of worship and thanksgiving and exaltation to the Lord. We've talked about prayer, calling upon the name of the Lord the last three weeks. We ought to intercede and hope for a taste of the glory of the Lord as we seek Him through prayer and through intercession. The third clause in this passage Make known his deeds among the peoples or the nations. To make known, in the Hebrew, there's a couple words for knowing. The word that's used here means a, a personal, experiential type of knowing. Used in the beginning, Adam knew his Wife Eve is a personal type of knowing, a relationship with not just that I know my wife, Nicole, in terms of who she is and her date of birth and other things, but we have a relationship where God has made us one. And that type of knowing is what God desires us with Him, not in a perverted way in which the world tries to articulate things, but in a beautiful way where we are just caught up in His presence and it's glorious and beautiful and wonderful and He's our focus and joy and desire. That type of knowing 
of God. Make them to know you and I are called to make the nations know the deeds of the Lord. What happened here this morning with Sister Joyce was a making known of what God had done. Telling of the deeds of the Lord in the past in order to encourage those to hope in the future. We can make the Lord's work known through the preaching of the gospel, the heralding of good news. telling about what the thing the things that God has done. In preaching we look at the text and we see the work of the Lord and we bring those principles forward that apply to your life and to my life that we would live faithfully before the Lord. This Wednesday in Wilmore, Kentucky, there was a meeting of students in a chapel service at Asbury University and Asbury Seminary. In the 70s, there was a wave or move of God's Spirit at Asbury. This Wednesday began as a chapel service, like every other chapel service had begun. And God's Spirit came in a wave. And people are still there worshiping this morning. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, five days later, nonstop, 24 hours. Students, faculty, townspeople crying out to the Lord. Sometimes singing, sometimes praying, sometimes weeping, sometimes worshiping. A move of God's Spirit, strength, power, might, encouragement of God's people. It made me seek to remember our own heritage. When we think about proclaiming the deeds of the Lord, the things which God has done in the past, we see in the scriptures the power of God on display. Jesus said in Acts 1-8, wait in Jerusalem until you are endued with power. And once you have that power, then I want you to go out into all the nations. And what did the disciples do? They waited about 10 days or so. They waited in an upper room doing what? Praying and interceding. Praying, going about the business of the church, the work of the church. And then the fire of God 
falls. And in that moment when the fire of God falls, it falls upon people. And they begin going out and telling other people, not caring what the consequences are going to be, knowing that the Lord had been put on the cross and that they may endure persecution, but they can't help it. There's something inside. It's what Jesus said. There's rivers of living water that is coming out from them. And they're going here, there, and everywhere in Jerusalem and into Judea and into Samaria and into the uttermost parts of the world. And see, we must begin telling that story again. But we also look back to our more immediate history. And I began thinking as I was thinking about what's going on in Wilmore, Kentucky, and praying, God, do a move here. God, I don't want to be left out. I don't want to just think about it over eight hours away. God, I, I want your spirit to move in Charlottesville. I want your spirit to move in me, God. God, I want I want more of you than what I've ever had before, Lord Jesus. I want that rivers of living water like I've never flowed in my life. I remember in the early 90s, a series of revival meetings at the church where we were attending. And I remember many in my youth group were receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It was just a move. People praying, laying on hands, altars full, people speaking in languages they had not learned, just a move of God, and you knew it was a move of God, and I'm seeking the Lord, I'm seeking Him for His power, I'm seeking Him for His direction, I'm seeking Him for clarity. The guy's praying for me, he's got his hand, and it's one of the old timers that he doesn't just kind of lay it easy, he's pushing, pushing, pushing. And I'm determined if I'm going out, it's under the power of God, not under the power of somebody's hand. So I'm bending back, 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 back. The first night of revival, friends of mine all receiving this power of God and just rejoicing in the week and what God was doing. I did not receive it. It didn't happen to me. The next week, same revivalist is there, same power of God on display. And someone spoke to me and said, keep your focus on Jesus. In your mind, as best as you can do it, focus your attention towards the Lord and not what is happening around you. As best I could, in my mind, I have a picture of Jesus and focus on Jesus and pray to Jesus and ask him for whatever it is, whatever he wants to do. I'm willing, Lord, I'm willing, I'm willing, Lord. And in that moment, the fire of God rested upon me. It was a moment I won't ever forget. And I began to speak in a language I did not know. And I began to lay on the floor and just shake under the power of God. And God needed to do a work in this heart. And it was an hour and two hours and two and a half hours. And we're not knowing what was going on. And people were just under the fire and power of God. The reason why I speak to you about it is because it is an experience that I've had that is in accordance with Scripture. When Anna was in the temple, 
and she laid her eyes upon the Lord Jesus Christ. What does it say at the end of that passage where it speaks of her? It says, she could not quit talking about what she had seen and heard. She could not keep it in. In terms of the roots and my own history, with the move of the Lord, it goes, could trace it all the way back to the mountains of North Carolina. In 1886, a group of people who for 10 years prayed for the power of God to move. Ten years sought the Lord. Ten years longed after God. Mountain people. God moving. In 1896, they were praying. And an outpouring of the Holy Spirit came with signs and wonders following. The religious establishment in the area didn't like it. They stuck dynamite under churches that wouldn't light. They tried to shoot people, can you imagine? Because they spoke in other tongues, because they had the power of the Holy Spirit, and they preached the power of the Holy Spirit. In 1901 in Topeka, Kansas, a revival when hands were laid upon a woman named Agnes Osmond. During a watch night prayer service, they started December 31st. In the morning of 1901, she asked that hands would be laid upon her. About 75 people praying after midnight. She said, it was common for me to pray, Hebrews 13, 20 and 21, while I was praying. And it was as if hands were laid upon my head that the Holy Spirit fell upon me and I began to speak in tongues glorifying God. I talked in several languages and it was clearly manifest when a new dialect was spoken. I had the added joy and glory for my heart longed for and a depth of the presence of the Lord within that I had never known before. It was as if rivers of living water were proceeding from my innermost being. Revival spread and in 1904 it was the Welsh Revival under Evan Roberts who was born in 1878. He began working in the coal mines when he was 12 years old, but felt the call of ministry, and he immersed himself in the study of the Bible. He was 26 years old when revival broke out, and he had been praying for it every single day for 13 years. He had an encounter with the Lord that prepared him for what God was going to do. He writes, One Friday night last spring, when praying by my bedside before retiring, I was taken up to a great expanse without time and space. It was communion with God. Before this, I had a far-off God. I was frightened that night, but never since. So great was my shivering that I rocked the bed and my brother being awakened took hold of me thinking I was ill. 
after that experience, I was awakened every night a little after 1 o'clock. This was most strange, for through the years I slept like a rock, and no disturbance in my room would awaken me. From that hour, I was taken up into the divine fellowship for about four hours. What it was, I cannot tell you except that it was divine. About five o'clock, I was again allowed to sleep on until nine. And at this time, I was again taken up into the same experience as in the earlier hours of the morning until about 12 or one o'clock. And it went on for three months. When the revival came to Wales, someone said, if it be asked why the fire of God fell on Wales, the answer is simple. Fire falls where it is likely to catch and spread. And one has said, Wales provided the necessary tender. Here were thousands of believers unknown to each other in small towns and villages and great cities crying to God day after day for the fire of God to fall. This was not merely a little talk with Jesus, but daily agonizing intercession. Another brother wrote this. If you and I could stand above Wales looking at it, you would see fire breaking out here and there and yonder and somewhere else without any collusion or prearrangement. It was a divine visitation in which God, let me say this reverently, in which God is saying to us, see what I can do without your things you are depending on. See what I can do to a praying people. See what I can do through the simplest who are ready to fall in line and depend wholly and absolutely on me someone else said no wonder the people could not sleep and could not stay away from the meetings no wonder the services carried on till two and three o'clock in the morning and then resulted in a march through the streets with the people singing the praises of the lamb many a time and since then people have criticized the emotionalism displayed in the meetings yes when thousands of people are convicted of their sins and are gloriously saved by the grace of God, how can they contain their joy? When believers are elevated to a new heavenly position in Christ and at that time see the answer to years, years, years of agonizing prayer in the salvation of their loved ones, surely there must be shouts of joy and songs of adoration. In 1906, in Los Angeles, California, Azusa Street, where an African-American pastor, William Seymour, was preaching. He was preaching in L.A., and the church he was preaching at at the time kicked him out because they didn't like him talking about the work of the Holy Spirit. And they found a dilapidated meeting house on Azusa Street. And what happened in those moments were blacks and whites and Latinos all worshiping together under the grace and power of God. Someone said the audience was carried into ecstasy of amens and hallelujahs. Emotions mounted higher and higher as the glory of God settled on Azusa Street. Someone else, the fire fell and God sanctified me. The power of God went through me like a thousand needles. The power of God descended upon me and I went down under it. I have no language to describe what take place, but it was wonderful. It seemed to me that my body had suddenly become porous and that a current of electricity was being turned on me from all sides. For two hours I lay under his mighty power. Someone might be speaking suddenly the spirit would fall upon the congregation and God himself would give the altar call. Men would fall all over the house. 
like the slain in battle or rushed for the altar in mass to seek God. The scene often resembled a forest of fallen trees. The testimony of those who saw with their own eyes the power of God on display. Make known his deeds among the peoples. It's not just going to seminary or Bible college or a good Bible study and learning and going out and sharing with someone else. It is knowing God and his power and his might that takes this word that we hold so precious, that is authoritative, that speaks to every situation. It's the fire of God that takes this word and brings it alive in the heart. That we may then go to the peoples. See, you wait for the power. And when the power falls, then we go to the nations. Luke 14. Jesus tells a parable. He says, when one of those who were reclining at the table with them heard what he had just previously shared, he said to them, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God, verse 16. But he said to them, a man was giving a big dinner and he invited many. At the dinner hour, he sent a slave to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is ready now. But they all alike began to make excuses. Excuses. The first one said, I bought a piece of land and I need to go out and look at it. Please consider me excused. Another said, I bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to try them out. Please consider me excused. Another one said, I've married a wife, and for that reason, I cannot come. The slave came back and reported this to his master, and then the head of the household became angry and said to his slave, go out into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the slave said, Master, what you have commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the slave, Go out into the highways and along the hedges and compel them to come in so that my house may be full. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste of my dinner. 
God wants his house. He desires his house to be filled with people from every nation, every tribe, every tongue. He desires for people from all walks of life, the lame, the crippled, those who have been ravaged by the enemy, those who the enemy has taken through the muck and through the mire, those whom the enemy has tried to destroy, those whom the enemy has tried to wipe off. And the Lord this morning says, come, come, come with me. The banquet table is ready. And when the Lord says come, he wants you to come with the presence and fire of God that will purify you and make you ready for the work that he desires to do in you. God alone is able to open blind eyes. God alone is able to make the lame walk. God alone is able to set the captives free. He does it for his glory that his house will be filled. And those of us, because the scripture says, and such were some of you. Those of us who have been in the place of darkness. Those of us who the Lord has said, you're the icebreaker for your family. You're the ship that is breaking the ice for those who will come behind you. The front of your ship has to be strengthened. It has to be strong because you're breaking the ice that others coming behind you will have an easier time. That's why God is raising up problems to the surface. Don't let it shock you. Don't let it shock you when God brings challenges to the surface. In fact, rejoice over it. Because what God is doing is dealing with it. He's dealing with it that the captives can be set free. The captives can be set free. And if I'm free indeed, if I'm free indeed, these have it a little easier. If they're free indeed and they continue in the faith, they continue focusing their heart before the Lord, the third generation has it a little better. We've got a history of a family. My wife's grandmother, she grew up. I've told her story before. A lady who loved the Lord but didn't know the Lord in the beginning. God moved upon her and upon her family. And when she closed her eyes in death, as far as she knew, her children, her grandchildren, her great-grandchildren had a relationship with the Lord. A woman who back in the 40s and the 50s felt the call of God on her life, experienced the fire of God in her, said, here I am, Lord, send me. Here I am, Lord, send me. And there was a guy who was in Florida who was pastoring a church. He was pastoring a church not in the condominium section of Florida because it didn't exist in that day. But Florida was a dusty place with sand and whatever else. And in the front part of the parsonage, a lady and her husband and their three children, one who played the guitar, one who played the banjo, one who tapped the tambourine while mama played the piano, leading people in worship unto the Lord. She was invited to move from Illinois down to Florida in order to pitch a tent in the front of the parsonage without a salary and be the Sunday school superintendent. 
following the call of God. Giving it up. The farm in Illinois. The security of family nearby. Giving it all up. To live in a tent and cook over a campfire in hot, dusty Florida. Generations were changed by the grace of the gospel. Tell me it wasn't hard to leave money, family, friends, and to go to the unknown. With a promise nothing. That generation was a ship, was an icebreaker. It opened the door for a family to come to know the Lord, a family to see the power of God on display. Generations changed through the fire and power of God. So this morning when we see when we experience a taste a taste of what God wants to do What you experience this morning is simply to stir up a longing for more, which I believe, I am convinced, I am convicted that God is stirring in such a way that our eyes will see what our hearts are longing for. And so we won't stop. We won't stop praying. We won't stop seeking. We will make known his deeds among the people. That people will have an experience with God that aligns with the authority of Scripture. That there will be might and power on display and God himself will receive the glory. I'm going to ask our brother to lead us in a song of worship. You want to pray, you pray. You want to come, you come. You want to stand where you are, stand where you are. But don't lose sight of the prize. Don't lose sight of the prize. What we're going after, what we're longing for, what we're pushing towards. God is answering. God is hearing. God is moving. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for this people.
Thank you for this opportunity, O oh Lord. Help us to know you and your power, your glory. Pour out your power upon us that you would fill us that in these earthen vessels there would be the treasure of God. That we would go forward in strength to make the nations know that there is a king and his name is Jesus. We thank you, Lord.